All right, if you have your Bibles, I want you to go with me to the book of Mark. We're starting a series this week on faith. Everybody say faith. Faith. The unique thing about faith is the Bible said that to every man has been dealt the measure of faith. So it's not like that we all don't have the potential to believe It's what you do with the measure that you have that determines what comes of your faith. So you can have seed. When I was traveling in Israel, we went up into uh, the, I believe that was referred to as the Judean wilderness where uh, Masada was located. And when we got up there, that was where the Israelites had uh, barricaded themselves against the invading Roman army. And they found a cache of seed up there. When they started excavating, they found a cache of seed that dated back to the time of Herod. So it had set dormant for nearly 2,000 years. And when they planted it, something unique happened. (laughs) It grew. So the potential of growth is always in the seed, but until the seed dies, the plant can't live. How many of you are dying to live today? You know what I'm talking about? It's, it's like I want more of God and less of me, but for that to happen, I have to die out to me. So we're going to talk about faith. If you would, with Mark chapter 2, starting with verses 1 through 4, and then we'll read verse 5. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. In verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for your word and the life that it brings. We ask, God, that you'll speak to us through it today and help us to rise up in you. We give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this first series, the first installment that I want to preach about is what's faith got to do with it? If you would turn and look at your neighbor and ask them that question, what's faith got to do with it? I'm going to ask the guys to come out and give me a hand so we can kind of visualize this. Hello, guys. I'll be back in a minute. Here we go. I want you to visualize these men. They have a friend. He's paralyzed. They carry him to the place where Jesus is at. And when they, go ahead and go down that way if you would. You've got a long road to travel. And so they're carrying him there. They come up on the house and, and their hearts have got to be broken. They come up on this house and not only is the house full, but man, there's no room around it. Let's eavesdrop on what might have went on that day. This what, crowd. what are we going to do? 
Um, gosh, we can't go in through the front door. Uh, maybe we could try around the back. Let's, let's see if we can go around the back door. Look at this crowd. It's so crowded. How are we, how we going to get him in? I don't know. The back looks crowded. Oh, man. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, um, I got an idea. Let's go through the roof. Through the roof? Why not? We can lower you down through the roof. Yeah, yeah we'll lower we you can. through the roof. Let's we do can. that. Come on. Get up on the roof. Climb on the roof. Let's go. Okay. Let's go. Hoist him up. You're heavy, by the way. <laughs> we'll get him above the crowd. We, we need can, a big rope. <laughs> okay. Now you're going you're gonna to have to dig a hole in okay. this roof. Let's get a hole then. All right. Set her down. I need both hands. And a shovel. It's not going to happen by just looking at it. <laughs> hey, just get a hole. Yeah. Just get a hole in the roof. Start there. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody want to help? Yeah. Somebody help. <laughs> There's a hole. All right. Okay, let's lower him through that. Let's go. Here we go. Easy now. That's easy, it. easy. That's right. Yeah. Just drop him. Just, no, no, no. Don't drop, don't drop <laughs> it. Like, don't drop him. Don't drop him. Just there you go. There you go. Give them a hand, would you? <laughs> See, we, we read things, but we don't think about what that must have looked like to them. I want you to fathom you're inside a house and it's jam-packed. Jesus is preaching the word in that house. Now, if, if there's anybody who wants to hear preach the word, it's Jesus. Amen. And he is preaching the word. And while he's preaching the word, all of a sudden people start feeling something fall in their hair. Look, I know what that's like. I was preaching a revival down in Mississippi one time and all of a sudden felt stuff falling in my hair. It was maggots coming out of the ceiling. God is my witness. A dead cat, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen to me. A dead cat... A cat, or no, it was a possum, not a cat. A possum had crawled up in the roof of that church and died. <laughs> There's a vent right over the pulpit. And I thought I felt something. And I, and I noticed people's faces in the crowd going. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to, you know, you ever try and keep your thought while maggots are falling from heaven. <laughs> it wasn't heaven. I can tell you that was straight out of the pit. <laughs> and all of a sudden I'm, 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 I'm doing that and, and I'm thinking, what's going on? And finally the pastor just walks up, steps up, walks up and starts digging maggots out of my hair. And I decided I probably ought to find a different place to stand to preach. Jesus is preaching, and all of a sudden, there's debris falling on the top of people's head. That I don't know who owned the house, but I'm pretty sure he wasn't happy with what was going on on the roof of his house. He looks up, and these guys are digging a hole in the roof of his house. Now, most of the time, those houses had like, you know, there would be sticks that were laid over each other, dirt, grass piled up on top. They're digging through it all. There had to be some type of material. Luke recorded that it was tile, that they started pulling back tile. And so, they are determined to get him to Jesus. Everybody say, got to get him to Jesus. 
Now, let's ask a question here. What does faith have to do with that? Jesus' actions are directly connected to their faith. I want you to see what the Scripture said. When he saw their faith, what happened? Here's what it said. When he saw their faith, he said. Say that with me. When he saw their faith, he said. He didn't look at the man's condition and speak something concerning that. He didn't look at the fact that he had a crowd and say something about the crowd. When he saw faith that was willing to rip a roof off uh, to get to him, uh, it caused him to speak something out. And this is what he said, son, uh, thy sins are forgiven thee. Uh, You understand that the miracle of forgiveness is the greatest miracle you're ever going to experience. He saw their faith and said, what would have happened that day, if they simply decided just to pray about the situation. See, the paralytic isn't able to move. So their faith got him there. They could have known his condition and just looked at him and said, well, we're going to pray about it. But they put feet on their faith and acted on their prayers. Sometimes you've got to do more than just talk about it. There were a couple of businessmen. One's name was John. This is a true story. The other's name was Rick. John had prodded Rick their entire partnership, and he, he always pushed him to be the best he could be. Even when sometimes it frustrated Rick, John kept pushing him. And he said, what kind of friend would I be to you if I let you satisfy with what you think your best is when I know you've gotten better in you? And so they had, they, they had become like brothers. And then John got the feeling poorly, and he went to the doctor, and they started running tests on him. And the tests came back that he had ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. They both knew what they, that meant. They embraced each other. They, they wept. And they knew that this disease would give John a maximum of two years left to live. Rick looked at John. And he said, John, he said, is there anything that you've ever wanted to do in your life that you've never been able to do? Have, you haven't done yet? I mean, do you, do you want to run with the bulls in Spain? Do you, you want to take your wife, Bonnie, to the Great Wall of China? Just, is there anything that you want it to do? Well, none of those things appealed to John, but John had been a race car enthusiast his whole life, and he'd never been to see an Indianapolis 500. And so when he talked about wanting to see the Indy, Rick told him, and said, I, I've got it covered. Don't worry, I'm going to get the tickets. Don't worry, I, I, I'll take care of it. The problem was is Rick didn't realize how hard those tickets were to come by. The corporate world had them bought up. People, individuals that had been race car fans their entire life passed tickets to their families. So it stayed, and he tried for the, a year trying to get those tickets, and he came up empty. So in 1996, 
Rick and his wife, Bonnie, did not go to the Indianapolis 500. He looked at me and said, I don't, I'm, I'm going to get you those tickets. So he works for the next 15 months trying to get tickets. And he went, he, he was a speaker concerning his, his business. So in every, he, he, he spoke in over 100 public forums that year. And each time he spoke, he told them about John and asked those audiences to help him come up with tickets. Time started approaching and getting closer and still no tickets came. Man, Rick was devastated. He thought, I can't believe I, I let him down. And when he went to tell him, he said, face John and his wife, Bonnie, he said, man, I am so sorry. He said, I've tried everything. And John reassured him. He said, look, man, he said, I appreciate your efforts. He said, now, you quit worrying about this or you're going to die before I do. And then with two weeks left before the Indy, Rick got a phone call. It was a lady in Pittsburgh, and she said, are you still looking for tickets for the Indianapolis 500? Man, he just froze. She thought he'd hung up, and she, she was saying, hello, hello. And he said, yes, 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 please, please. And she overnighted those tickets to him. He was so excited, he called Bonnie up and let them know that you're going to the Indianapolis 500 this year. You're, you're going to get to go. And then all of a sudden, he got deadly quiet. And he said, Bonnie, he said, I, with only two weeks left, he said, you may not be able to find a room Bonnie responded and said, Rick, don't worry about that. I paid for a room over a year ago because I believe that if I exercised enough faith to get the room, that somehow God would get me the tickets. Sometimes you've got to do more than talk about it. Sometimes you've got to do more than just think about it. You have to act on it. Everybody say actions speak louder than words. And so these boys acted on their faith. They didn't just simply talk about it. They responded to it. What, what would have happened if they had just got home or they, they, they'd just gone home and when they found out that there wasn't any room there? I mean, it would have been easy for them to say, man, there's no way we're going to get to see Jesus today. There's no sense hanging around here. How many times do we stop short of a miracle? How many times do we allow our faith to be spoken over and drowned out by our fears rather than going ahead and trusting God? One of the things that took me on the evangelistic field back in 1991 was the fact that I couldn't stand. I remember standing in my job and tears streaming down my face and hearing a voice tell me, what are you still doing here? My people need to know they're winners and not losers. And, and I kept thinking, but God, I've got, and then finally I realized, what am I going to do if 10 years from now I'm still working this job, never having known what would have happened if I would have just trusted God. And so I made up my mind I'd rather try and fail than fail to try. Because if I try and I fail, I'll live to try again. But if I fail to try, I'll never know what God would have done. A lot of you need to give birth to your dream, to quit allowing the devil to snuff out your hope and your vision. Let your faith rise up in your heart 
church and declare that if God be for us, then who my friend can be against us? The devil's never going to let your miracle come uncontested. He's never going to let you just waltz through life without challenge. And sometimes you've just got to square back your shoulders and accept the challenge and say, God, I'm going to trust you. They refuse to allow the difficulty of their circumstance to discourage them. That's so good, I'm going to say it again. I said they refused to allow the difficulty of their circumstance to discourage them. When they couldn't get in the front door, they went around back. When they couldn't get in the back door, they took it to the roof. Don't raise your hand on this, but let me ask you a question. How many times have you allowed what you're going through to discourage you to the point that you didn't even try anymore? All of a sudden, it's easier to just surrender than to stand up and choose to believe. Job made this statement. Job's going through stuff. He doesn't understand what he's going through. He doesn't know why he's going through it. Job's got got no idea that in heaven there's been a meeting with God and the devil. He doesn't know that God just looked at the devil and said, have you considered my servant Job? There's nobody like that boy. Man, he loves me. He's hanging on to me. If he'd known that, don't you know, he'd have squared back his shoulders and said, you just bring it on, devil, because I ain't about to give up. But you know what made him special is that's what he did anyway. Not having known what was surrounding him, not knowing what was going through or what had been spoken about him, he made up his mind and he said, though he slay me, yet I'll trust him. I'm going to die believing God. Somebody say, what's faith got to do with it? (laughs) Sometimes you have to make room when it looks like there's no room. Years ago, if you would throw that picture up, if you can get it up there. Years ago, I was uh, attending a camp, and I'd already got to the camp meeting. This is prior to Debbie and I even being married. And I had, my Jeep was a baby blue 1979 CJ7. That's what that is, but mine looked a lot better. <laughs> Debbie said it did. It had a trim line kit. It had the hard top. It was, it was a fine looking Jeep. And I took a wife and had to say goodbye to my Jeep. I got the best, I got the best deal out of it. Amen. So what ends up happening is I get a phone call and there is a van that's broke down on the side of the road that's got a bunch of kids that they're bringing to camp. And I said, well, I'll come check on you. It didn't dawn on me that a van would hold more people than my Jeep. And I took off and I get to them. And when I get to them, I, 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 I pull off the side of the road and all these people start pouring out of this van. I put 15 people in that CJ7. Pull it up one more time. I want them to see that. I put 15 people in that van. I mean, in that Jeep. I had, there were four or five of us in the front seat. I was operating the wheel and the clutch and the brake. 
I had another guy operating the shift and the gas. When these kids laughed, look, I couldn't even, you see that, that spare tire on the back? I couldn't leave, I couldn't latch that. I had a hard top on. I had to open up the door on the hard top and keep the wheel out because I had people puking out of it. That's probably not a good term. <laughs> Sticking out of it. They were protruding out of the Jeep. They, they started laughing and when they started laughing, my Jeep started doing this. I'm trying to drive it like this, and, I, and, I, and, and I've, got, I've got some kids in there. They don't think it's funny at all. I've got one boy yelling, y'all quit laughing. Y'all quit laughing, man. You're making us all go all over the road. And I finally got into town and found a gas station. I knew there's no way I'm going to be able to take them all the way to camp like this. So I found a gas station, and they started getting out, and the gas station attendee looked and started going. And he, looked, he said, I can't believe you had 15 people in that Jeep. I couldn't believe it either. Well, it was 18. I was wrong. It was, it was 18 people. Oh, I was 18. What's that got to do? Okay, I was... I think she's trying to excuse away my, my philosophy of putting 15 people in that Jeep. I was 18 years old at the time. No, I was 19, wasn't I? I was, I was an old man. I was, anyway, no, you're right. I, I don't know. All I know is sometimes when there's not enough room, you've got to make room. Everybody say, make room. Amen. Standing in Russia with a doctor in a public transport and the doors opened up. He said, make sure to get on the bus. So I didn't know what I was getting ready to experience when those doors opened up, a mob of people poured out and a mob of people poured in and I'm standing there like, you know, a, a good person being courteous and letting people get out. Other people are jumping up right in the middle of him. And then when it finally came time for the bus to close, I looked up and the doctor's in the middle of the bus and he's going, get out of here, get in. There's no room, man. There, not only is every seat taken, the hallway is filled up and they are all the way down the steps of that bus. And I'm thinking, well, I'm not a about to let these doors close and me be lost in Russia. So I put my shoulder down like that. This is a true story. I put my shoulder down. I grabbed hold of the rail and that person in front of me, I got underneath him and pushed him up in that bus so I could get on. Sometimes you've got to make room. Everybody say it with me. You've got to make room. They were determined that they were going to make room for their friend. Because of their faith, it gave Jesus an opportunity to change their friend's life forever. Amen. This is recorded in three Gospels. It's recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in the book of Matthew, in the ninth chapter, this is what Jesus said to him. Jesus said, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. I always wondered what that man felt like that couldn't move on his own, that couldn't get to Jesus. 
And all of a sudden they start ripping a roof off and they start lowering him down. And as they lower him down, the first thing he sees is Jesus looking at him. I wonder what it was like to look into the eyes that had created the universe. And Jesus looked at him and he saw something in him that was fearful. And he said, son, be of good cheer. That, actually, that phrase, be of good cheer, is translated, son, have courage. I've forgiven you. You don't have to let your past haunt you. You don't have to let yesterday dictate to your tomorrow. He's saying, be of good courage. Your sins are forgiven. How many of you have people that know you or that knew you when you were a rascal? Hold your hand up. If you've got people that knew you when you were a rascal, I want you to make a list of those people and put their phone numbers down. I, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Nobody wants folks prying into when we were rascals, do they? And yet, for him, he's saying, I don't care what you used to be. I'm getting ready to change you. I'm getting ready to make you brand new. Everybody say brand new. Let me ask you a question. Would you rather have a pair of old sneakers or a pair of brand new sneakers? Apparently, you've never smelt my brother's feet. <laughs> if I, I didn't want hand-me-downs. I didn't, you know, because once sneakers are old, they, they may feel better, but they sure don't smell better. And it's kind of like, man, I remember, we're not live streaming today, so I'll go ahead and say this. I remember our son went through something with his feet. I don't know what was going on with his feet. We finally figured it out and got something for them. But he'd take it, he could take his shoe off and clear out a room, and I am not kidding you. I am not kidding you. We could be in it. He could clear the house out. He could take his shoe off in the living room, and we'd be in the kitchen. And my, what is that? What is that? And, and, and it, was, it was, man, he needed some help to get the stink out. How many of you need some help to get the stink out of your life? <laughs> I needed help to get the stink out of mine. And I'll tell you what, when you're trying to deal with stink on your own, all it does is stink more. <laughs> and so Jesus said, don't worry, don't be afraid. I've, I've forgiven you of your sins. You're forgiven. When he said that, he, man, everybody say religious folk. <laughs> The Pharisees standing by there heard him say that, and they got beside themselves. They said, Who, who's this man? They, they didn't say it. They're just thinking it. But what they weren't aware of is that the man standing in front of them is more than a man. And he's able to read their thought. 
So he knows what they're thinking, and they're thinking, who does he think he is? Only God can forgive sins. Who does this man think he is? What you may not be aware of is that the Jews had, had this belief that before a man could be healed of a disease, he had to be forgiven of his sin. They, a lot of people believe that that was founded on Psalms 103 and 3 that says, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, everybody say forgive, and healeth all thy diseases. So watch Jesus do. He forgives the man's sin first. He said, your sins are forgiven thee, and he knew it would trigger a reaction in them. Who's this man think he is? God? The writer of Hebrews 1 and 1 said, God, who at various times in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Everybody say, he made the worlds through him. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. Only God can forgive sins. And I love what Jesus does to him. He has set them up. So let me ask you a question. Is it easier for me to say your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. Because if I say your sins are forgiven, I don't have to do anything physically for you to see that because that can't be seen only by the effects of a life that's been repentant. But so you know that I've got power on earth to forgive sins. So you know he, tur he turns away from them. He doesn't pray for that man. He just commands and says, arise, take up your bed and walk. And that guy jumped up and everybody began to get a little bit excited. Uh, and they started saying, my goodness, man, we've seen some weird things happening around here. There's strange things going on. We've never seen it after this fashion. Who is this that God has given man authority? I'll tell you who it is. It's El Shaddai. Uh, it's the great I am. Uh, it's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Uh, it's the prince of peace. Uh, and my friend, uh, he's on your side. What's faith got to do with it? Everything. Our faith can create an atmosphere for people to encounter Jesus. He saw their faith and he said, Your sins are forgiven. Our faith can create an atmosphere for people to receive Jesus, our faith. What would have happened if, those, if that man's friends hadn't believed enough to make the journey? What if their faith wasn't strong enough to believe that if they made the effort, Christ would take care of the situation? What if they just decided to stay at home? Not only would the man still be paralyzed, he'd be lost. 
you need to understand the impact your faith can have on others. There's a man in England, there's a Welsh revival going on, and every morning at I believe it was either, I believe it was four o'clock, it was either four or five o'clock in the morning, they were meeting and having services. Five o'clock in the morning. How many of you want to switch time? There's a police officer that's walking toward that meeting and he sees a professed atheist walking on the street toward that meeting and the officer stopped him and he said, I thought you didn't believe in God. He said, I don't, but that man sure does. <laughs> if you'll pray, God set me on fire, the world will come to watch you burn. And it may be that a spark leaps out on them. It was their faith that changed his life, that caused Christ to take notice of him. There's a story of a young lady. Her name is Susan. She was a single mom, and she was struggling to raise three kids. It was, she, she, her story, she said that I, I went to church, and I, I, you know, tried to participate in Sunday school as much as I could, she said, but, or in Bible study, rather, as much as I could, she said, but I, I just, I, I, my time was strapped, and it took all I had to try and just make a living. And she said, I was constantly asking God to help me and supply my need and asking him to answer my prayers. And he said, she said, I got to feeling bad. And she said, I was, so I was on my way to work one day, and it took her 45 minutes to get to work. And she said, she started praying. She said, God, I, I just want to do something for you. What can I do for you? And she said, and it came to me as if he spoke the words himself. Pray. Pray. She said, I felt something go over me. And she said, okay, God, I get it. You, you want me to pray. She said, so God, this is what I'm committing to you. The time that I spend driving every day, that 45 minutes a day that I spend driving, I commit it to prayer. God, would you just show me someone to pray for, who you want me to pray for? She got to work, and within, within an hour of having prayed that prayer, she got to work. She opened up an envelope, and a check came out, and it, the company she worked with, and, and it said, there, there was a line, and it said, here's my payment. It's a little late. I'm sorry. I've been very ill lately, signed Beverly Thomas. And she said, I knew in that moment that God wanted me to pray for Beverly. She said, I just asked, and now he gave me a name. She said, I didn't know Beverly. I didn't know if she was married or widowed or divorced or single. I didn't know if she had children. I didn't know what she was facing, what, what, if she, what her situation was that was making her sick. She said, I just knew that God loved her, and I started praying for her. Said, it seemed strange at first praying for someone I didn't know. Said, but the more I did it, said, something happened to me. And she said, I began to love Beverly, and I began to pray, God, comfort Beverly. Father, give her peace and give her hope, Lord. Whatever it is she's facing, give her the strength to face it, Father. Give her what she has need of. Wrap your arms around her. And she prayed that prayer. 
prayer every day. And then she said, all of a sudden, I, I, I got this feeling that, I think it was in the spring, she said, I felt like I, I ought to send her a card. And she said, I knew I was running a risk because I had gotten her name from work. And if they filed a complaint against me, then I could lose my job. She said, but I was so sure that God wanted me to send her a note that she said, God, I just commit this into your hand. So she began to write Beverly notes. And her first note told a little bit about her and told how she came about praying for Beverly, that she believed that God put Beverly in her path and let her know that she was praying for her every day. And, and she kept sending the notes, but she never got any response. And she began to think, God, I'd like to hear from her, but she never heard anything from Beverly until January of 1992, the phone rang. Her prayer journey for Beverly had started in the winter of 1991. So she'd been praying for Beverly for a year. When she got the phone call. Her son answered it and said, Mom, somebody wants to talk to you. She said, who is it? He said his name's Bob Thompson. And she said, as I walked to the phone, I was thinking, Thompson, how do, how do I know that name, Thompson? And it dawned on her. And she thought, oh, great. He's probably calling me to tell me to leave his wife alone. And they probably think I'm some type of religious kook or something. And so she answered the phone, and she said, hello, hello, Mr. Thompson. He said, yes, is this Susan? And he said, yes, sir, it is. And said, well, I, I just am calling to thank you for all the prayers that you've prayed for Beverly and let you know what's happened. And as he began to, she began to talk to him, he said that his wife contracted cancer when she was 48 years old. And he said, but during the whole process, Beverly never experienced pain. He said, I know that's from your prayers. So the reason I'm calling is we were going through, my daughter and I were going through Beverly's things and we found a stack of notes that she had tied up in ribbon. And he said, I know that she must have read these over and over because they were all well-worn. And he said that, that when the reason she never contacted you is shortly after that diagnosis, she found out she had brain cancer, and so she couldn't function, she couldn't write anymore. It took things away from her. And he said, I, I just want you to know something. He said that before all this happened, uh, our our experience or our relationship with God was, you know, we, we would go to church on occasion just once in a great while, said, but two weeks before Beverly died, she was baptized and said, in the day before she died, she looked at me and she said, it's going to be okay because I'm going to be in the presence of my heavenly father. He said, I just thought you ought to know that. What if her faith hadn't been strong enough to send a note? 
What if she'd prayed but never made contact? Do you understand that God was using her? Her faith caused Jesus to say, thy sins are forgiven. Her faith caused that lady to go into the presence of God, surrender her life, and find that there's a life beyond this one. Her faith. What about your faith? Who are you carrying with your faith into the presence of God? Your faith can make all the difference if you just speak it out. Debbie, on more than one occasion, ministered to someone that we would find out months later that just a few weeks after she ministered to them, they died. But her ministering to them caused them to step into the presence of Jesus. And he said, you don't know the impact your life has when you allow your faith to speak. When you allow your faith, and don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying, because prayer is the foundation of everything. But when you allow your faith to take you further, than just your prayer closet. When you allow your faith to send a card, to make a call, to reach a hand out to a stranger, your faith. I had people that I met years later, and they said, do you remember me? And I, I, I said, you, I was in a meeting, and you preached this message, and God is my witness, I could not remember preaching the message they said I preached. And they said, that changed my life. Your faith. Amen. Folks, I want you to hear me. It's not about us. It's all about him. And if Amen. we choose to believe, what's faith got to do with it? Everything. Everything. Think about this, and I'll leave you with this thought. I'm going to ask you if you would to stand with me. What would have happened there that day if the Pharisees would have believed? What would have happened if when the Pharisees heard him because he was preaching the word of God and faith cometh by miracles? No. Faith cometh by hearing. And hearing what? The word of God. What if the Pharisees that day would have chosen to believe because faith is a choice. Believing is a choice. Just look at the thieves on the cross. They were both cursing him when it started. But in the process of him hanging there, one of those thieves' hearts changed. And he made a choice to reach out and say, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Amen. His faith carried him into the presence of Christ. And Christ responded, today, you'll be with me in paradise. If those Pharisees had believed, they could have been saved. So it's important that when we step into his presence, we bring a believing heart rather than a critical spirit. Amen. 
Lord, I choose to believe. I'm going to ask you if you're in this place today and you've got a need or you don't know him. You, you may be coming to church and you may have come to church for a while, but if you've never said yes here, if you've never taken the time to say, Jesus, come into my heart. Lord, forgive me of my sins. The virtue of you coming to church isn't going to save you. No more than pulling a garage in a car fixes the car. The mechanic has to get under the hood. He has to do repair work. And that's what happens when we open our heart to Christ, the master mechanic. And I don't know if he's ever been called that before, but the master mechanic goes to work and whatever's messed up, he begins to adjust and fix. And the truth is, is he just gives us an overhaul because that's what we need, isn't it? That's what we need most. I choose to believe. I'm going to ask you to ask prayer partners to come and stand with me. While they're doing that, let me, there's a lot, how many of you have ever seen the movie, The Santa Claus? In, in the movie, The Santa Claus, there's a line that I believe they plagiarized. I'm not saying it was for me, but I'm saying I was saying it before it ever showed up in the movie and, I, and I'd heard it before it showed up in the movie. But I thought, isn't that something that they use that line in that movie? And it's when Tim Allen is at the North Pole and he's looking out the window and he said, oh, this is all wonderful. He said, is that a polar bear down there directing traffic? And they, he's looking and he turns around to whatever that elf's name was and he said, you know, it's all wonderful. He said, I'm seeing it, but I don't believe it. And here's the line. She said, seeing isn't believing, believing is seeing. You've heard me say it this way. Before you can see, before you can see what you say, you need this. Uh, before you can say what you see, wait a minute. Help me out. Before you can say what you see, you, there we go. Before you say what you see, everybody say that pastor's getting old. Before you can say what you see, you have to see what you say. Now, now understand what I'm saying. Before you can say what you're visibly seeing in the flesh, you have to see in your heart what you're saying in the spirit. Scripture says it this way, speaking those things that are not as though they were. So how about it? Are you ready to see faith make a difference? What's faith got to do with it? Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. It's got everything to do with it. The good news is you only need a little bit of it. And if you'll plant it, it'll grow into a tree that everybody will come and lodge in. Just a mustard seed full of it 
change the world. How about it? Are you ready to plant some faith today? Right before we invite you to come up for prayer, I'm going to ask James to come up. James Washburn, he, he showed up. Everybody give him a hand as he's coming. James, James showed up last Saturday, I believe it was, at the church and was walking around looking for someone. I came out and saw him in the hall and we sat down and talked and James began to share his story with me. Come a little closer, please. And James told me, is it okay if I share this? I guess it's a little late for me to ask now, <laughs> But James told me about suffering a stroke about 10 years ago. And he's consistently believed God that God would give him his mobility back. Now, he, he came, he said, I, I felt like the Lord was telling me I, I needed to come to this church and Here's what I'm saying. James's faith did more than talk about it. He acted on it. And every day, God's strengthening him. I believe that. I believe that every day, God's giving him back something he didn't have. I want you to believe it with me right now. Would you do it? As you stretch your hands toward him. Matter of fact, I talked to, is it okay if I share this, Ray? I talked to Ray today and he was telling me his wife also had had a stroke. And it was left side, right side, right side. She hasn't had any mobility and, and you know, and her very limited mobility in her right side. And he said this week, he said her right side started hurting. <laughs> she hadn't been able to feel anything there. So everybody say pain is good. <laughs> Something I learned lifting weights, pain is good. Extreme pain is very good. No pain, no gain, no good. I want you to hear me. Your walk with God, you're going to go through some stuff. When it begins to hurt, raise your hands to heaven and begin to thank him because he's getting ready to work something out in you. We're, we're going to pray for James right now. Stretch your hands this way. Father, I thank you, God, for what you're doing in James. Thank you, Father, for a hand that reaches beyond the hand of man. For healing, Father. Thank you, God, for every day making him stronger than he was for increasing his faith. I give you praise for it now in Jesus' name. Come on and give him a hand clap of praise in this house. Thank you, Father. So, if you've got a need, I want you to take a step of faith right now. Very quickly, I want you to take a step right now. We're gonna, they're going to sing when they get done with this song. I want you to have moved up to the front. Go ahead. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe in you, I believe, I believe, yes Lord, I believe, I believe in you, sing it, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe in you, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe in you, come on. Hold those hands up with me right now. 
Say it with me. I believe. I believe. Come on, I believe. today I want you to walk out on a mission that I'm going to bring somebody back here with me their faith caused Jesus to say thy sins are forgiven you know what there's only one thing better than going to heaven and that's taking somebody with you so turn around look at your neighbor and say I'm going to take somebody with me I'm going to take somebody with me Stretch your hands to heaven. The Lord smile on you and bless you. May you know that you're the head and not the tail. You're above and not beneath. And God has given you the ground that you lay your feet on in Jesus' name. God bless you in this place. Go out and let the world know he's alive. I believe, I believe. I believe, I believe. I believe, I believe in you. I believe, I believe.